Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Take Your Points. I'm your host, Ronan Scott. Our guests this week are former entrepreneur player Joe Quinn and Gaelic Live columnist Kyle Carville. Joe Quinn, Kyle Carville, thanks for coming on the show this week. Um, to start, we wanted to talk, or I wanted to talk about uh, the change room situation with COVID. Um, clubs, some clubs are still not allowed to get into the change rooms. Um, Joe, what's your take on it? How serious a situation are we talking here at the moment? I just think, especially coming this time of year, it's daft. You know, they're not allowed to change together, but yet if they score a point or they score a goal, they can jump all over one another. You know, it just it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me, especially with all the legislation that has been passed recently with nightclubs opening, bars opening, and there's no social distancing. So to keep players outside, outside the, the changing rooms, it's just, I don't know why. I don't know the rationale. After the game, there's players going home wet. There's players going home soaking. Um, I, we all know how susceptible you are after a hard session to catching the cold and the flu. And that's just going to, it's just going to make it even worse, especially, you know, with the turn of the nights and, and the temperature starting to drop. Hmm. Camaraderie, Carol, how big a deal is that with, like, with not, no changing rooms? Well, I think it's a joke, to be completely honest about it. Like, you can kill one another for 60 minutes on the, on the field and hanging out uh, um, the other players, etc. And, you know, hard tackles and shoulders, etc., etc. You're in team huddles before and after the game. You're standing in stands or under guttering, all huddled together to try and keep warm like penguins in the Antarctic. Yet, you're not allowed into the change rooms. Or if you are allowed into the certain change rooms, it's six at a time and you have to be masked up. And you need a bit of common sense here. We're opening nightclubs, bars, etc where you can have hundreds of people under the same roof. You know, look at the Bell Sonic concerts with thousands of people, yet you can't allow 20 players into change rooms to get changed or shower after a game. And like, forget about COVID, you're go there's going to be players going down with pneumonia going home, never mind COVID in this um, situation. And especially where you've been, most the majority of GAA players have been double vaccinated. There needs to be a bit of common sense, a bit of cop on, and especially coming into these winter nights, uh, really talking about player retention and different things, uh, it's going to put a lot of players off. Well, why would I want to go and get soaked to the bone and have to drive 30, 40 minutes home after um, after training and matches? And I've seen it myself over the past while where we're not allowed into change room for championship games. And, you know, it is completely disheartening and it has to be a change and it has to happen now. Yeah, hopefully it'll be sorted soon enough. Perhaps that'll be one of the issues coming up in um, a Congress. I imagine they'll talk about it, but the Big thing at Congress, Joe, is going to be the championship formats, which they're going to be discussing amongst many things. But the, the thing we wanted to focus on, because um, we don't know where the formats or where the championship is going. There's been debate before, but um, we're not getting enough competitive games and there's too many weapons and things like that. You you have experience of playing in, in different tiers and different systems. What's your take? What do you think should happen? Personally, myself as a player, I'm, I'm not in favour for it. You know, I'm... I'm older generation sort of a you know playing for Anthem, yes, we were on we were on the end of some drubbins in the All Ireland qualifier. But I would rather have that because it always gives you a chance to play against the big boys. You know, you, you know, on your day anything can happen. And the, the one off match anything can happen. But if you're playing a league and you're playing sort of, you know, consistent against a couple of big teams, the big teams are always going to come through. But you never know, it loses that spontaneity of of what can happen on the day. I was thinking about this before I came down to um, I just think that as an association as well, we have to we have to remember our support base. And if you have a if you're having a league format for championship games, that can be very costly for a lot of people who who can't necessarily go and watch all the games, you know, and bring their kids. You know, it can have a huge financial burden. But a one-off game, 
you know, all right, say Antrim against one of the big hitters, Dublin. That, that, that's great. And it only, speaking from somebody from one of the, the smaller counties, um, it generates a great feeling too. You know, if, if Antrim happened to draw Dublin in, in a backdoor system or an open draw All-Ireland qualifier, the sort of enthusiasm that would generate within the county would be absolutely unbelievable. The, the score would become, you know, the, the final result, it wouldn't matter to, to Antrim people. It would just be in the occasion and also too, and that will drive the players no matter what. You know, that's always going to drive the players. So I think as well, coming from, from the small, you're trying to get boys to stay and not go to America. But if they're going to be playing against teams that they've been playing all year or the last two years in the National League, you know, why? You know, you get pressure from clubs, clubs going, why are you going to do it? Come back to us, you have more chance of winning the championship than you do with, with that. You know, and as I said, part of the panel that won the, the Tommy Murphy with Antrim and the All-Ireland B, it could end up just going, the, I know the second tier system, um, don't know how to pronounce it, um, but that it could end up going like that and, and it'll become devalued. So I'm not in favour of it. I'd rather just go back to the, the back door system. Once you go out, you have another go at it. If you go out, you're away again, rather than, than any type of league format. I don't think it does anybody any good. What about the Tommy Murphy system, though? I mean, that, that format, isn't that's a tiered system? It, it was, but when you look at who, at who played in the Tommy Murphy, it was the same teams. You know, you weren't even getting all the teams in Division 3 and Division 4 um, that, were, that were playing in it. And when they were playing in it, um, it, it wasn't necessarily all the teams were taken serious. A lot of their squad was completely different. I remember going out and playing a Tommy Murphy Cup, a cup game and we basically had to go down to St Gauls and get about eight St Gauls boys to make up a panel of the week before because the original Antrim panel had all went on their holidays. They had all started to concentrate with their clubs. Um, now, and I can see that the second tier competition going the same. I, you know, I, that's, that's what I would think. Now, the boys might think differently. And people will buy into it. I'll tell you, they'll buy into it. But I think in the cold light of day, they'll go. You know, I've played against the likes of the Wicklow's last twice, maybe this year. I've played them last year. Why do I want to play them again in, in, a, in a competition? I want to play the likes of Kerry, Dublin, you know, even all our Ulster teams, Tyrone. You know. mm -hmm. Kyle, we've talked about this before. This has been a com topic we've chatted about. And... Um it feels like you maybe go come from the side of the, it's worked for the hurling like the, at the mm -hmm. hurling level it's sort of tiered system sort of work do you what do you think or what do you what's your opinions you know on a changing into the format and going the league system well I think they've, they've looked at the two proposals the, the first proposal is in relation to expanding the, the interprovincials and bringing eight teams in which doesn't seem to be a, a it's a non-starter essentially from what and this is only based on what the GPA survey is coming out on. There's talking about this league format and Proposal B seems to be the one that's um, given the, the most endorsement based on the GPA survey of its members. And, you know, I've had my various uh, criticisms of the GPA in relation to their paymasters and they'll, you know, toe the party line in terms of what the GAA says. And uh, as Joe refers to, what is best for the members? And the, the big issue with GEA Congress, it's like, you know, a democracy in North Korea. Who is going to vote? Who says who's voting for what? You know, I, as a member of the GEA in Armagh, when the county delegate from Armagh goes to Congress, do I know beforehand what he's going to vote for? What proposal is it? Proposal A? Is it proposal B? Is it to stay with 
proposal C, which is the current format? I don't know. And how do I have a say in that? Do I go and lobby him like, you know, like BP lobbying the Republicans in America? You know, is that how it works? I have absolutely no clue. So in terms of the cloak and dagger process and transparency of GEA Congress, I've written about it before and that needs to be looked at. What we are getting is a proposal which has come from the powers that be in the GEA, which has been rubber stamped by the GPA who say they have canvassed all of their members and this is the proposal they're, they're going for but what about the ordinary GEA members you know we hear it time and time again the club is the lifeblood of the GEA our members are the lifeblood but we have no say in it we have someone who is a, an elected official by the county board to go and, and get the free dinner you know have their day out in Crow Park and you know rubber stamp whatever the the GEA powers at be say and so there's a transparency and democratic issue which needs to be addressed first and foremost in terms of the actual proposal I, I take what Joe says in terms of where is the incentive for those teams, you know, those um, lower teams to enter this B competition and to try and win it. Obviously, the carrot is that you, if you win it, you will, you know, be promoted into the the uh, the All Ireland proper. But I think it's just going to be a case of ticking the box. You know, we'll have a few competitive games and it'll be the usual suspects which will come out on top after the league format. So it's a proposal, you know, the GEA is obsessed with tweaking the rules all constantly. Look at the black card, look at the forward mark, the advance mark, etc. Piling the pressure on referees. This new format is going to be very costly for um, supporters, as Joe has referenced, but also... As Brian McAvoy has said, he's very critical of it in terms of the impact that it will have on the Ulster Championship. And the Ulster Championship's where it's at here. Forget about Connacht, forget about Leinster and forget about Munster. And these are primarily where these drummings are taking place that we're trying to get away from. The Ulster Championship has been so competitive and um, you know, I think it was some of the, the Throne players, Niall Morgan I think it was, that said that for Kerry to get to an All-Ireland semi-final, all they have to beat is maybe a mediocre Tipperary or maybe a, a half-decent Cork team to get to an All-Ireland semi-final. So it's a lot easier for them to win the All-Ireland. Obviously these proposals will uh, change that, but moving the Ulster Championship, and I think back to my younger days going up to Clonus and, and playing in Clonus with the Miners, etc. You know, they were days and memories which will last um, forever. And that's bringing the younger generation through to see those great titanic battles in the Ulster Championship. And we're turning that into a pre-season competition. Is that really where we want to be? Definitely not for me. So I think there's a bit more tweaking, a bit more engagement and consultation needs to go into this. I forgot completely that, that, that one of your big, your favourite topics is about transparency in the Congress. I should have put that to you first. <laughs> you got me going, I maybe took a bit you, more time you, for that. that. Well, I often ref remember that you always want to know who, you vote, who is voting for what, which is fair, which is fair. Joe, does anything at chime with you? I, I completely understand where Cahill's come from. Um, yeah, if anybody knows me personally, me and GA politics don't exactly mix. You know, as I said, it, it is a bit of a it is a bit of a closed circuit, and they they do make decisions only only known to themselves. You know, I I don't know anything about it, but just to go uh, what what Cahill said there too about the Ulster Championship being a pre-season tournament. Whole excitement about the Ulster Championship was again too that it was played in the summer, so you had a good hopefully you had a good firm pitch. So you could see the skilled floor players coming into their own, and that made it exciting. And um, now you bring it to a pre-season tournament. You're, you're maybe bringing it, bringing it in where the pitches aren't the greatest of shape, so it turns into a slogging match. 
and and you can't really see those those players that really you want to see excel the way you, you can see them excel. This is coming from a, a six foot two midfielder that you know that, that wouldn't have been a fleur player at all, but it was always great to play against and play with 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 this sort of this different type of player, which you know can really sort of express themselves in summer football. Um, I always think that the Ulster Cup, the Ulster Championship, even if it is pre-season, it will still be competitive because that's just us. That's just us up here. It will always be, no matter what time of the year it's played, it'll always be do or die. Um, you know, people will, players will always want to win it, and I don't think it will be devalued. But I, I do think that it's the wrong time for, uh, for a pre-season tournament because you know, say the likes of Throne draw Antrim, you know, you could get the Throne maybe using, using it the. The blood players, which isn't really necessarily what you want, or have a look at players. So it could come like a, a mechanic cup type sort of scenario where you're maybe not even seeing the best players at that stage because they're getting held back. Whereas the Ulster Championship's always about seeing the, the best players from round one. Yeah, it feels like we could talk a bit more about that, but I wanted to segue into about um, Antrim and last season and what you thought of them last year, uh, you know, in season past. Um, uh, do you do you see signs you know, of change, improvement? What did you think? Well, I think it's it's been a gradual process over the last few years. I, I know that that Lenny um, Harbison sort of towards the end of his his tenure, and it came into COVID, so that that really knocked the wheels off. Um, but Enda came in last year, and he done exactly you know if he had said to him at the start of the year, you're going to get promoted out of Division Four, and all right, you're not going to beat Armagh in the championship, he would have taken that. You know, anybody would have taken it. The big crux is to get out of Division 4. Now, Division 3 brings its own problems. Um, but that, that would, so getting out of Division 4 is a success in itself. And you can't underestimate, too, that the first game, that going down to Louth with Mickey Hart being in charge of Louth and coming out away from there with a the result, that was, that was huge. And that set them up for the year. You know, Division 4 played there a lot of times. Winning that first match, your first match is your crucial match. That it really is. If you don't win your first match, it's a, it's an uphill struggle from there. So I think hopefully that that they're on the right lines and uh, they're bringing a couple of young boys through. It's just the it's just sustaining that and keeping them keeping them on on that trajectory. Now, Division Three is going to be tough. There's a couple of big teams in there in Division Three. It's going to be a tough tough division for them. And whereas promotion would be absolutely fantastic, you know, I think me personally, I'd be looking to cement a good position. In, in Division Three first to build the build that wee bit of momentum, because you go up into Division Two too quick, then you could end up. You see it so many times. I've done it before with Baker, and it was fantastic. Straight up to Division Two in two years, but then straight back down to Division Four again. You know, so I think there's a wee learning process that you have to, you know, you have to learn the league, get a wee bit more experience, especially when you're blood new players, and then progress from that. So I think if I was the manager next year, I would be looking to cement status in Division 3. Finishing off Division 3 is as high up you can, just not to go back to Division 4 again and maybe get a wee bit of a run in, in, in the Ulster Championship, a couple of good performances. What do you think of the squad though? You mean, you know, because you, last year we had Paddy Cunningham, we don't know if he's probably not going to be back and older players sort of led them last year. Uh, and it's always good to have sort of them old hands like, like Paddy and, and the McCann brothers, but I think there are a couple of young, young guys that are coming through. There's a couple of young guys that have been there and thereabouts that, are, that have been on the squad um, that you don't really sort of hear about, but they're ready probably to make that step up and make that sort of that um, cement their place and give a wee bit more more sort of something different 
to, to the squad, aye. The likes of Shivers or that? that do those well, kind of boys? Shivers is probably, you know, his age would go against them, but there's, there's, no, there's no harm in bringing young boys in and getting them training. I think that's, that's what we should be doing, bringing young boys in. I was talking to you earlier about this under 17, and that's where you could lose a lot of players that are that, are that age um, who have potential to be county players. So it'd be good to get them in and train on the periphery. Tell the guys, you know, you're not going to be playing the senior county for the next three or four years, but we want you to be here and here, thereabouts the squad. We want you to train with us so you can get a feel for it, you can see what they're like, and also to the manager can see exactly what they're made of, because at that stage they'll probably be all right football ways, but it's a mentality thing to see whether or not they have, they have the, the, the head right to play on it. Yeah. Kyle, the, um, the way we were talking about Antrim there is that they need to progress in the league, and it feels like these discussions about the championship and changing of formats is because top brass or people think that championship is where teams improve when really it's the league and the format of having the league and player teams doing well in the league and trying to step like that's what helps county teams rather than undoubtedly there was a lot of progress from Antrim's perspective this year in terms of what uh, McGinley came in and did and they were evenly matched you know you think of the Sligo game you think of the Louth game as um, Joe has alluded to they were they got out of there with one point wins you know Paddy Cunningham coming on and uh, Cork and points over the wall with the left foot. The, and they were great to see Antrim win and to, to go uh, to go up and it is about cementing, uh, cementing their position in Division 3 and even like if you think back people forget about this in the first half uh, against Armagh in the athletic grounds Armagh were rattled very very uh, rattled didn't really seem to be devoid of ideas and Antrim were running directly at them and playing balls in and playing very good football and I remember a tweet at the time uh, uh, a friend of mine who shall remain nameless after that first half was looking for McGinney's head uh, on, on a stick at that stage um, and that's how good Antrim were the problem with Antrim was they just couldn't maintain, maintain that level for the rest of the game and that is I suppose that we've seen the difference with the likes of the um, Tyrone boys who are a wee bit more conditioned and you know Armagh are getting to that stage albeit they were uh, against Monaghan they threw that game away but Antrim players it's not just about you know the, the skill levels it's getting those boys to a certain level of fitness to continually push on to the you know 70th minute 80th minute the way the extra times are going at this stage and it's building that foundation of two or three years competing at a good level so that's why if they're division three and cement their status there and then move to division two and when you're going up the levels not only is your football IQ going up but also you're building that base of fitness over a number of years and that's why probably if you look at Tyrone, it took them those number of years to get those very good players up to a level where they could continue and to win games in extra time and to push on at a level which other teams couldn't. And I think Dublin were the team that showed that template. So the teams, it's not just about getting the skill levels up to a certain standard, it's getting the fitness and building that, I suppose, um, ability to continue and to play at a high level, at an intense level for 60, 70, 80 minutes. And that's where Antrim, I suppose, are pushing on. And that's why, and I think a consolidated panel of the, the same players coming back every year that are able to push on at a young age to build the, those levels. You know, the likes of Paddy Cunningham and, and the McCann brothers are great, but they're at the twilight of their career. You're not going to build that level of fitness to any further than where they're at at the minute. So I think bringing through the youth and making them competitive and building a sustained and settled team uh, during the league 
moving into championship they should be even more competitive in the 2022 season and you know it's great to see with the Galefast program etc everyone wants to see uh, an Antrim football team doing well and taking a big scalp in Ulster it would be great to see that so um, yeah I think they're on the right path but cementing status in Division 3 and maybe you know picking up a win in the Ulster Championship would be a great boost for Antrim He's up Carl like I don't want to say that I don't, I don't <laughs> want them to, Antrim to do well I don't want them to be beaten like, you know. <laughs> Sorry I, I do think you know just looking from the outside and from Antrim um, a lot of people are looking for that short term fix you know if you get beat this year it's the heads go down when really as Cal says you know it's it's a building process what what really needs to be happening is going we need to be looking at this squad because I played in many as a squad and it was different every year but this is the squad we want and in four years time then this squad will be challenging rather than this squad will be challenging this year or this squad will be challenging next year you know it's it's a long-term process and if you look at just over the last sort of wee number of years how many and it was the same when I was playing how many Managers have Antrim went through. You, you know, I know that Cal alluded to the two that they were calling for Ken McGinney's head, and now that it's, you can see the work that he's putting in. It's come to fruition, but you know they were going get rid of him rather than looking at the long term effect. And you can see that they're starting to reap the benefits off that that fusion maybe that that he had. You know, so it's almost as if you're going right. Here's the squad, but in a couple of years' time, the squad we want to be here. If we're not up here then the manager has failed but it's not in the, the first two or three years that the manager necessarily needs to be there it has to be after that well funny you say that people are getting rid of Kieran McGinney's head he was probably one of them <laughs> he was trying to well, get rid of them so they've got the O'Neill brothers you know if Antrim had the O'Neill brothers it might be a whole different story you know so well, what I wanted to ask though uh, interesting point you're making how do you maintain a squad like you know you if you've been you played for Antrim yeah, like what, for yeah. a decade or whatever it was how, how do you maintain a squad it's difficult it is difficult, um, you know, I don't know now, I'm a wee bit far removed from it, but what sort of resources the boys are having. I know when I was playing, the resources that we had were, were absolutely abysmal. Um, you were going, we were training in, in some places. I remember training um, before the championship in, I think it was 2000 and maybe four or 2005. We played for Manor in the first round, we got beat down at, at Brewster Park in an awful day, but we were training before that in Allen Park on a rugby training ground with no goalposts. And this was our championship preparation. Um, through no fault of any of, the, uh, any, of the, any of the management or anything else, but that's what we were, that's what we're, we're, we're training in. Um, so when you have, now that again too was, was many moons ago, but when you have that, what is the incentive for boys to, to stay and push on? Um, you really need to be, the love your county to do it, you know, and, and not necessarily everybody has. I think too that just from experience, a lot of, I sort of alluded to it as well, that a lot of boys, when they first come on the Antrim panel, they think that if they're not automatic starters, that's it, they're away again the next year. They're not prepared to learn their apprenticeship. You know, you have to hang about in a county squad for two or three years before you're pushing on, pushing on to it. You know, very rarely do you just come on to the squad and you're, you're through into the team, unless you're, you have something that the team doesn't necessarily have. You know, you have to remember you're going on to try and, try and get rid of established players. So you have to bide your time and just, in the last we went with Antrim football, boys haven't been prepared to do that, but they have to, you know, so it's a different mindset. Hopefully, you know, Wanda can bring that through um, with, with a few of the young lads, because the young lads are, they're, they're hungry now, and hopefully then too, that they will do it without the pressure coming from the clubs, because there's a lot of pressure comes from clubs too, um, especially if, if you're not doing too well. You know, mm -hmm. they're getting the, 
why are you going to play for the county? You're not going to win anything. Come to us, we'll give the championship a rattle. And, you know, young lads, if you're getting pulled from all sorts of directions, especially if you're from a, a, a rural club in the parish, it's a lot sort of harder for you to, to say no to your to the parish than whereas from Belfast, myself, where your next door neighbour could play for St John's. On one side, the other could play for St Gaul's. You know, the street I live in has every, every club in West Belfast represented in about six houses. Um, you know, and even some houses that have a couple of clubs represented with brothers and sisters and everything else. So it's, you know, it's, there seems to be that wee bit of club draw that's a wee bit stronger coming from, from rural areas. Yeah, it's funny somebody said to me one time that Belfast sort of needs a strong Antrim because it would unite the city, unlike the likes of whatever, Slaneel or wherever club. Yeah. There's only one club, there's only one banner to cheer under, whereas if Belfast had a strong Antrim and Antrim do well, like, like in 09, like whenever the, the, the whole thing was, you know, suffering. Well, I've said it, and if it goes on TV, I'll probably get hung from, from a lamppost in the middle of the Falls Road. But definitely West Belfast has too many GA clubs, and you're competing for the same amount of players. Um, now, as much as I, I'm, I'm a St Paul's man through and through, it's going to take a, a visionary who will probably will get killed to go in and say, right, we have West Belfast, it needs four or five clubs maximum. And that's it. And that could even be a push. You know, you've, you've, you've your sales with Rossa, with Sarsfields and St Paul's, that near enough share the same site on the Shaw's Road. Where else in Ireland would that happen? Now, I'll take a brave man to go in and have that conversation with them three clubs. Um, you've got St John's, you know, uh, Gortnamona and ODs that are within a half mile stretch of road. Bring in, you bring some goals into that too. So within, again, half a mile, you have four clubs. You know, as I said, my own club with M3. You have St. Teresa's, which is, again, a stone's throw away, and Lav Yarg, which isn't too far, far away again. It's just, I think it's madness. You know, Dublin have, have a bigger population than, than Belfast without as many clubs, so that, that says it all. Well, Kyle, what do you think about that? What's, what, can you square that circle on that one? I don't know. I think that's going to be a big issue going forward for the GAA, not only in urban areas, but also in rural areas. Like where I live now, um, it, within five miles of the Moy, there's 15 GAA clubs taking the kind of Armagh and, uh, on, the, on the throne side, which is completely unsustainable. Underage in my own club in Middletown, we have had to amalgamate with Dionysia Madden um, under the Creve Cairn banner to get young people out. Families aren't having, uh, families aren't as big anymore, um, uh, whether it's in urban areas or whether it's in rural areas. and. I think I did do a column in, in the Gaelic Life earlier this year about you know the whole working from home might benefit the rural areas because people actually don't need to congregate in the Dublins or in the Corks or in the Belfast as much in terms of commuting and it might bring some life back into the, the rural clubs. But the reality is populations are declining um, and clubs, there are too many clubs in Ireland. That is the reality, whether it's in Belfast or whether it's in South Armagh, there just are too many. A lot of them are amalgamating and at underage level, but they still want to keep their um, their senior team and like let's be honest in the north it's not as if we're in you know West Cork or wherever where there's only or in Kerry where there's only um, Gaelic football you know you have rugby you have cycling you have boxing you have all, any number of sports cricket rugby which is pulling on all uh, young young people at this stage so it's not as if 
like in Armagh, like say in you know North Armagh, there's the population you're you're picking from forty percent of the population to start off with, and that's a whole other issue about bringing other cultures and denominations into the GA. But going forward, there's going to sustaining GA clubs is becoming. Uh, more and more difficult, not only in terms of the player numbers, but also in terms of financially, because in terms of preparing teams and you know the money that has to go in to keep a GEA club running, in terms of insurance, etc., etc., you know those costs are going up and up and up. And if you've less members and less uh, players, that becomes even more difficult. So it's not just an issue in relation to the the urban areas, the rural areas are feeling the pinch as well. And how we square that circle, I don't have the answers uh, this evening, but it's certainly something that's going to be more acute going forward and uh, you know there are various issues and challenges facing G the GAA across um, the country not just the fixtures but um, we've concentrated on that today so <laughs> maybe I don't know if we fixed that but certainly the the, the GAA clubs and where they're going in the future is going to be another problem which will rear its head. It'll take us just to the final thing I wanted to talk about which was um, the Dunloy winning the Antrim Senior Hurling Championship because they played Rossa who are West Belfast club. Um, uh, what uh, what did well, start with you, Cal? What did you think of that result? You know, Dunloy winning their third in a row against a Belfast team. And Belfast haven't won it since what 2004 or whatever since Russell last yeah. won it. What, what did you take from that uh, that win by Dunloy? Well, Dunloy were the champions again. You know, to do three in a row in Antrim was very, very difficult. Um, I take my hat off to them. They're a very, very good team. Now, the challenge for Dunloy after, you know, putting Rossa to the sword, you know, quite easily, let's be honest about it. Rossa will be very disappointed in, uh, you know, the way they they played the game. And I think there was maybe a rabbit in the headlights. Um, and that, I know they've been knocking on the door for a while, but that lack of experience on the big game day and Dunloy have been there and done it before and uh, you know there were as I said they were worthy winners now the challenge for them is to go up against what's looking like Slock Nealing and you know an Ulster semi-final and to try and beat them uh, probably on a on a wet Sunday afternoon in the athletic grounds again they've been there and Slock Neil have always got their number so there's a big challenge ahead for Dunloy they'll uh, enjoy the, the celebrations the three in a row it's you know it, it's great to see from again a very small rural club um, but the, the challenge for them uh, when they wake up tomorrow will be, well, can we go on and win an Ulster champion, Club Championship? And can we go on and uh, win an All-Ireland uh, Club Championship? Because that's really doing three in a row in Antrim's great, but that's really where their sights should be at this stage. Joe, you're a West Belfast man, St Paul's man. What did, what did you think of that result? Were you, were you disappointed for us? Well, or? I was, because I have, the, I have to uh, have sort of pointed out when I, when I go down to see my, my grandfather's grave, down in Milltown, there's the Rossa Crest, looks straight back at me. Um, so he was, he was a Rossa man through and through. Um, I, I was I was disappointed at, at the result, um, and, and probably, and Rossa would be more disappointed because the, they, they didn't perform the way they could perform. Like, oh, credit to Dunloy. Dunloy, it's only stepped up to the mark. Uh, it would have been great as a, as a Belfast man who spends the whole summer in the Glens and has to listen to Glens men constantly, that if, if you know, it would have been great to see St John's and Ross in the final. It's always good to see a Belfast team in the final. I think if it had been two Belfast teams in the final, I was talking to a club mate of mine, he says it would have been good for the county because it would have also generated a huge interest in Belfast for, for Hurling, but it would also give North Antrim clubs a wee bit of a shake because they don't like it if, if, they're, not, if they're not winning it. So it would have been good from, from two sort of perspectives. But as Cal was saying, um, I think Ross... Uh, 
and I was talking to you earlier, it's very hard to sustain the dual club and dual players. I know the likes of Stephen Beatty, who's a, a terrific footballer and a terrific hurler. Mickey Armstrong are the same, it's just two boys that I remember um, when I was involved with the county who were there. Now, they're getting pulled from both, both codes. Both boys could play county hurling, both boys could play county football. Um, they're playing hurling and football for Rossa. They were playing championship matches week in, week out, you know, football and hurling, and that's all going to catch up. I know Slot and Neil have done it over the last wee while, but uh, probably that will never be repeated again. Um, that was just that was an exception to the rule and, and fair play to them. Um, and as I said, I've, I've been having this debate. It's, it's hard to be a dual player. Um, I know you're saying Dunloy are a, sort of a dual club, but if you ask any of them Dunloy hurlers, They'll not say they'll not say that they're 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 dual players. They're hurlers first and foremost, who play a wee bit of football probably to keep themselves fit. And some of them are very very good footballers as well. Some of them are terrific footballers who could compete at a, a, a high high level, but it's just not in them. Um, so they just want to concentrate on the hurling, and that could maybe be a wee bit of Ross's downfall too. That there's too many you know the players are getting pulled. They think they can do it you know, and it's only in hindsight probably in a few years' time or when they've retired that they'll, they'll look back and they'll go, well, you know, I can't sustain what I should be sustaining for, for both codes. You know, everyone puts Slock Neil up there as an example of it can be done, but if you actually look at it, yes, they've been very competitive, but they haven't won in All-Ireland in football or hurling. And would any of them players take their Ulster Championships in both codes for one All-Ireland in either the hurling and the football? We've seen, you know, Lock Eel do it because they were completely focused on the hurling and they went and won um, the All-Ireland in 2011-12 against that Cool Derry team. And you, would you ask a Slock Neil player, would you like the, the All-Ireland club medal as opposed to those Ulster football and Ulster hurling medals? There's that's a big question. So I don't know, is this the death nail of the dual player? I, I don't know, but as uh, the the resources and the commitment time for both increases, it's going to be very difficult to sustain and very difficult to sustain that competitively. So I'm glad I'm looking at the, the other end of it going into retirement at this stage. I have one couple more months to go, you know. So, uh, but it's a, another interesting issue um, that we'll no doubt talk about again in terms of where the GA is headed. Just as Cahill said there too, when St Gaul's won the football, quite a number of them on that football squad were very talented hurlers. Um, but they, they focused that year on, on the football alone. So again, it, it is a question for, for both. And I feel sorry for the players because players are put in an awful position and they're getting, you know, they're, they're getting pulled by, by two masters and they don't want to let anybody down. It's always a matter of time and how you split up the time and time has caught up on us today, I think. You know, we could have talked all evening about <laughs> that. But um, Joe, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate your time. And Kyle, thanks as always for coming in too. Um, great thanks conversation. For, thanks for having us. Thank you.